Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. This is the Sons of UCF podcast, your place for UCF sports talk year-round. Now, here is Adam and Mike. All right, we are back. Episode number 141 of the Sons of UCF show. My name is Adam. As always, my right-hand man and yours, Mr. UCF Mike, is back for yet another week. Mike, welcome back, my friend. How are you? Doing great, man. Ready to go. Um, another week closer to the start of the football season, so I'm getting pretty excited now. You are getting excited. We all are. We've made it to August, which means we are right on the cusp of a few things. Uh, fall camp opens on Tuesday. UCF will meet the media Tuesday and then American Conference media on Wednesday, so we'll start to hear some some good quotes to see what's going on around the around the kingdom there, so we'll talk a little bit about that. We had some news today on our roster shuffle, Mike, that may be a bit surprising to some folks. We'll discuss that. Somebody who, uh, 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 I guess, a legendary knight has returned. We'll tell you more about that. Uh, 321 on Saturday, we got a tease. Uh, I don't know what it means. Nobody really does. We'll figure all that out. And are we still in the American Conference? I don't think anyone really knows yet, so stay tuned for that. Cow of the Week is here as well. We'll do our big three of uh, our big three newcomers we are most excited to watch this year. So big three newcomers. Uh, you're not going to miss that. And we're going back to the archives, my friends. Joe Burnett, Smokin' Joe, joined us uh, probably about two years ago now. And uh, if you don't know about Joe Burnett, a few young kids out there, just hit the hit the YouTube button. Google Joe Burnett. He had so many big plays, a legend in UCF. So glad to catch up with Joe. He's actually been on our live show too. So Joe has been a friend of the program. So uh, we'll have Joe Burnett uh, replay for you as all well. Mike action pack show. I don't even know where to start. 
I thought you told us where we were starting. Oh, I did. I got to write these things down. All right. Well, before we do that, make sure you follow us on social media, Sons of UCF, everywhere that you do social media type things, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, uh, website, twonightsmedia.com. Follow Mike on Twitter at UCFMike1. And don't forget about our live show Thursdays with our good friend, Trace Troco, streaming live 8 p.m. on Thursday evenings, Mike. But what is not live, or I guess what is live today, I should say, is UCF updated their football roster, Mike. And this is probably the most interesting news off the top. Football roster updated. And some uh, some sleuths on the internet, Mike, uh, did, some, uh, did some sleuthing and found an omission on the roster that is a bit head-scratching, uh, head if you will. Number 24, Bentavious Thompson, no longer listed on the UCF roster. When UCF was contacted for comment, essentially athletic uh, spokesman said, Gus Malzahn will answer and handle all that on Tuesday. So uh, no comment from UCF, Mike, but Bentavious Thompson, a name that we thought would be one of the leaders in the backfield, currently not on the UCF roster. Is that a big deal? Well, it definitely took everybody by surprise. Didn't see it coming. You mentioned Bentavious. It's somebody we thought would compete to be the starting running back this year. He's got plenty of carries the last couple seasons, and he was the leader in the clubhouse. I think when we said coming out of the spring game, we, we expected him to, to be one of the top running backs on the team, and now he's no longer on the roster. No explanation, and your mind just wanders. could be a million different things. Why he decided not to come back, or is he transferring, or – does he see that he wasn't going to get the playing time? Or even after that spring game, didn't we see a picture of him in a sling? Didn't he have a sling on his arm yep. at some point? Is this injury-related somehow? Uh, nobody knows. I guess we may find out in the next couple of days, but this was definitely a shocker to me. Yeah, according to Jason Beattie of 24-7 Sports, uh, Bentevis is not in the transfer portal, so this isn't a transfer situation. If he was going to transfer, he's now past the deadline where he'd have to sit out a season anyway. So if it was a playing time situation, um, then he probably should have done that sooner um, because uh, now he won't be able to play if he's intending to transfer. Um, scouring some social media, Mike, I found this tweet from Intavius. This was dated on uh, July 23rd, uh, and I'll quote it from Twitter. When you're going through real-life problems, sometimes you got to be able to control your emotions. I don't know what to read into that, Mike. I don't know what that means. I don't know if maybe if he had a falling out to coaching staff. Maybe there was a... Uh, um, you know, something was said, maybe you broke a rule or something. I don't know the specifics there, but uh, to your point, there's a, any number of reasons, um, and, and we don't know what those are. But this leaves UCF in a bit of an interesting backfield situation. You mentioned uh, the spring game. Bentavious appeared to be banged up during most of the spring game. He didn't get the ball all that often. Then we saw him with an arm brace. I think it was a wrist brace afterwards. We saw a lot of R.J. Harvey in that game. We know we have Mark Anthony Richards who's coming in. We know we have Isaiah Bowser coming in. Uh, Johnny Richardson got some carries in that game as well. So maybe a crowded backfield. Maybe Bentavious didn't like his seating. I mean, it's all speculation. I hate to do that. But um, but now now with no Bentavious, our running back room got one one man down. Does that concern you at all that we're losing really our, our at least UCF's, only veteran running back? Well, it is a position of strength for us. We, you just rattled off all the names. I feel comfortable with any one of those guys in the backfield. So uh, it's not a – big concern obviously you'd like to have all your guys there just to have the depth but you know this is something we're gonna have to it's something we dealt with in the past in 2017 we lost our number one running back early in the season and we replaced him and went on to have a pretty good year that year so things happen sometimes you lose guys to injuries and that's expected too of all the guys we have right now i think we're going to get through the whole season with all of them 
healthy is probably a long shot. So, I mean, at least it's a spot where we have other guys that are capable of playing. And now just the speculation of why, that's what I want to know. I want the answers of why. Maybe it's none of my business. Maybe it's something personal that the kid's going through. We, we talked to a couple guys recently that said, you know, we don't really have no idea what these kids are going through in their personal lives. And young kids, 18, 19, 20-year-old kids, who knows? I mean, something big's going on that really is none of our business. And there's a, a good explanation for this. But um, a concern football-wise, I'm not that concerned just because of the other guys that are on the roster. Yeah, he uh, his for what it's worth, his Twitter bio still lists uh, UCF uh, as his uh, his school. So who knows? Well, I mean, you mentioned the others, Mike, and let's let I me mean, let's be honest for a second. R.J. Harvey played really well in the spring game. He got a lot of touches. He I think he scored two or three times, if I remember correctly. But uh, prior to that, he only carried the ball three times for three yards. And and uh, his previous seasons, he was a quarterback before transferring to UCF from Virginia. Uh, you mentioned Johnny Richardson. Uh, he obviously had a, a good year last year, but only had eleven carries. Um, Isaiah Bowser is probably our most veteran running back now. The transfer from Northwestern, um, you know, he had uh, 78 carries and 197 carries in previous seasons at Northwestern, so he's got a lot of experience. Mark Anthony Richards, uh, 20 carries in his Auburn career. So uh, we have guys who certainly have talent, but haven't really been on the field a lot, Mike. So this, it'll be interesting to see how Gus is able to mesh some of this youth together. And you, you got a picture. Uh, you know, one of these guys is going to have to kind of break out and, and be that guy. Maybe you'll hear that on our big three. Maybe one of us have uh, one of these guys as our big three. But, um, you know, while some names you know, uh, outside of Intavious, I mean, outside of I- Isaiah Bowser, not a lot of, uh, not a lot of, I guess, reps, live reps for a lot of these guys. Right. And, you know, that's the same questions we have coming in at the wide receiver position, too. We're losing three big guys there, too. We've got a couple guys that we've seen before, but we're going to have to have other people step up, guys that we have not seen anything out of. And uh, I'm confident. Uh, I love Johnny Richardson coming into last season. I thought he was going to have a breakout year. Kind of got put in the doghouse with that fumble against Tulsa. But he's electric. We've seen some clips out of him. And some of these other guys look very promising, too. Well, yeah, and we'll, and we'll see again. So we should note, no one's replaced um, Ventavious on the roster. So obviously uh, offensive de- and defensive guys can usually wear the same number. So uh, number 24 on defense has been claimed by Jarvis Ware, the transfer from Missouri. So, Mike, maybe this is a situation where there's a, a rule violation and this is sort of Gus's way of, uh, of cracking down. Maybe there's something uh, just from a, a team perspective and this is a temporary thing. Whatever it is, we certainly hope everything's okay for Ventavious. Uh, and, and we certainly hope that uh, you know there, there's nothing going on that uh, that's super serious here. But uh, obviously a bit of a head scratcher, Mike. So uh, stay tuned to media days on Tuesday and Wednesday. We'll see if we get any indication what the what the change is about, Mike. Uh, and uh, obviously we'll bring whatever we have to you all Thursday during the live show. But uh, breaking on Monday, Bentavious no longer on the roster. We'll see what that looks like, Mike. Uh, and when we talk uh, to Gus Malzahn Tuesday and Wednesday, I imagine he'll get a lot of questions about conferences, Mike. What conference is UCF going to be in? What's going to happen with UCF's conference? Um, not a whole lot is broken in the last couple of days. Some news today. Uh, the Big 12, their commissioner, Bob Bowlesby, and all the athletic directors were in some form of a Senate meeting in Texas, which sounded like really good theater because there's some really good quotes um, coming out of there, Mike. But one of the most interesting ones is that Bowlesby is saying that the Big 12 has not had talks directly or indirectly with anybody about um, joining their conference, Mike. So Bowlesby's making it seem like the, the little eight, as we're calling them now, will just kind of sit tight. Um, and and certainly you never know if these things are true or not, but not a lot of scuttlebutts maneuvering on the conference front the last couple of days. Yeah, I don't believe anything anybody says when it comes to this stuff. 
especially when they come out publicly like this and make statements, whenever they say something, I kind of believe the opposite. So they say he hasn't talked to anybody. I'm sure they've done their research. They already did their research in 2016. And and I think actually Bowlesby did make a comment towards that where we, they already have a head start on this with the other schools that they were looking at. So I don't think there's much to think about. I think the obvious decisions are pretty much there for them. If they're going to expand the schools that they're going to go after, and the question is, is that's what's going to happen. Is the Big 12 actually going to add teams or are they going to get dismantled even further by other conferences and have to have teams come over to the American? That was a discussion last week. Um, I, I know Texas and Oklahoma say that they're sticking around for another four years, but I find that hard to believe. So until that gets worked out, uh, I think you'll start seeing other dominoes fall soon. Well, that, and, and interesting is we, we we covered this last week on the live show. Bowlesby was very vocal about ESPN and made some comments. He kind of backed away from that today um, and seemed like he was kind of making it about face a little bit. So maybe he's, he's getting a little bit smarter, a little bit wiser uh, about how we should handle some of these things, Mike. It, it's going to be hard to say. Uh, but as of right now, he's, you know, he's indicating no changes. Obviously, we understand that, um, you know, these things often are, are fluid um, and, and we'll see where UCF shakes out of that. Will there be a merger with the American? Will UCF go there? One of the interesting things that he also said today was about TV money. So he said that essentially without a Texas and Oklahoma, that they expect that uh, TV revenue in the Big 12 will be cut in half. And they'll, they'll lose about $14 million, which means that uh, the schools will continue to reap $14 million. I don't know how this all works out if, if schools come or go, what that looks like, but that's double what UCF's making right now in the American. So uh, while the contract is a little longer in the American, there's more guarantees there, certainly more money in the Big 12. So I'll be really curious to see how this shakes out. Uh, will there be a merger of super conferences at some point? Will the Pac-10 or 12, whatever they are at this point, now get involved? Or will this all dissolve and just become a power floor, Mike? I think there's still so much to, to, to be known yet. It seems like things moved really, really quickly, and now we're in a bit of a, a stalling pattern right now. Right. And if the thing is that we end up going to the Big 12 and we get twice as much money, that's great. But at the same time, if you take schools like UCF and Cincinnati away from the American, they're going to renegotiate that contract too. the $7 million is going to go down to three or four, whatever it is. So the teams that are left over are, are going to be left with scraps. Uh, but long way to go. And there's still rumors out there today about Florida State and Clemson now talking to the SEC. They, they want to get in over there. Is the SEC done? I don't think the SEC is done. I think they, they, they made their big move quick, and I think they're going to keep striking because they're not just going to sit back and watch the Big Ten do something. The Big Ten's going to have to answer. Those are the two big, big horses in this conference realignment thing. And I think we're just getting started. So the next couple of weeks may be interesting, or maybe it'll slow down here for, for a month while the season kicks off. But this is definitely not the end. Well, I mean, again, and Clemson came out today and denied that report about them reaching out to the SEC. But to your point, who the heck knows anymore? Uh, I, I think the next domino will have to come when timing comes, right? As of right now, the Big 12, Oklahoma, and Texas are all holding hands and saying, nope, we're staying until 2025. But I don't think anybody has an expectation that that's the reality. So I think once the timing gets figured out, that's when you're going to see other conferences start to make moves. Right now, I mean, things maybe stand pat for, for the next couple of seasons unless – Texas and OU can get out sooner than I think you'll see the Big Ten, the ACC, uh, the Pac-12 determine what they want to do next, Mike. But uh, certainly was interesting. Well, here's my favorite comment of the entire day, by the way. This comes from Texas State Senator Charles Perry to the University of Texas president. Um, if you are as big and as great as you think you are, you should have made the Big 12 equal or better than the SEC. You didn't do that. 
Uh, so everyone's really mad at Texas, and they don't seem to care. And Oklahoma seems to be collateral damage along this process. Uh, and and to your point, Mike, I don't know if the SEC's done. I don't know what's next. No one really knows what's next. But there are uh, dominoes to still be falling, and hopefully UCF continues to put themselves in a position that they can take advantage of said dominoes when they fall. I like the comments from the TCU athletic director. He told <laughs> Texas, you're 3-8 and eight against the Longhorns. I guess you'd rather lose to Alabama than lose to TCU every year. <laughs> that was a nice one, too. That was good. Yeah, I don't know if this was like a roast. I don't know what this thing – got to. we just have more of these. <laughs> I don't really know what this was. Um, uh, uh, Baylor's AD was asked about expansion, and he was asked specifically about the University of Houston because he was the AD there. He said certainly uh, Houston could be someone we look at as well as another uh, a number of other institutions – uh, so again, this thing continues to spin and spin and spin, like, and who knows where it lands, but another interesting comment that Bowlesby had, and again, his credibility at this point is probably, I don't know, medium at best. Uh, but there was talk about the, the playoff expansion. Uh, and he had some interesting comments about that. He said, quote, um, maybe we get a 12 team playoff because a lot of chatter about people not being excited to move forward, given what's happened the last two weeks. I don't know how you read into that, Mike. I read into it as there are other people who are pissed off that we're doing this super conference thing, and maybe now they don't want to expand the playoff. Uh, so the playoff expansion talk, which obviously favored uh, UCF very uh, very well uh, in that sense. Uh, Bullsby saying maybe that's uh, that's off the table right now. I don't know how real that is, Mike, but how much of a disaster would that be if all of a sudden the, uh, the playoff expansion gets shelved by this uh, super conference situation? Yeah, that would suck. But I can't see them going back. I I think the playoffs going to expand. Now the question is how many big conferences are there that, to guarantee spots to? And, and I think it's still going to get spread out to 12 eventually. So I think w- there'll be a chance for us to get in, but they need to work out who's where first and which conference. So once that guy was worked out, then I expect them to bring the, the playoffs thing back into the mix. And that's all about money too. So once they figure out who's in what conference and they figure out the contracts with the TV partners and everything and, the playoff will get expanded eventually. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Let's all not kid ourselves here. ESPN is going to control the heck out of that thing, right? If they can sell more games and they can get more SEC teams in there, you can get a, you know, a, a nine and three, sixteenth uh, seed or twelfth seed Oklahoma, you know, playing a whatever a five seeded, you know, ten and two Iowa team. Uh, there's no way ESPN is going to turn down that kind of money. So let's let's if we've learned anything, we learned that money talks in the situation. Uh, if ESPN is willing to pony up the dough to, to pay for these games uh, and there's a demand for it and conferences see the money involved, I, to your point, I can't, I can't see them walking away from it. There may be some, you know, some hurt feelings right now. There may be some other conference leaders who are like, you know what, never mind. The SEC is doing this kind of stuff. But I, I can't imagine that once you see dollar signs that they're going to be like, you know what, we're going to take a principled stand over money. I don't think that that very rarely ever happens in college athletics. All right. And the only thing I really want to come out of this is for us to get somewhere, you know, in the best possible spot for us and in one of the big super conferences and the cows to get left behind. Mm-hmm. So we can have one of these memes made like they Texas did with the Texas A&M thing. That thing cracked me up. I watched that like 40 times now over the last couple of days. Uh, I just want something like that to, to, to tease the hell out of the cow fans. Yes. I, well, I mean, you, you're not hearing the cow's name mentioned uh, too much in these things, right? Whenever you're hearing expansion talks, uh, UCF, Houston, Cincinnati, uh, Memphis, those are uh, BYU, SMU. Those are the names you're hearing, Boise, uh, more than anything else. You're not hearing the cows brought into that. So um, that's uh, that certainly makes you makes you smile every time you see a list and you, and you don't see the cows on there because 
obviously we all know the history of Osa, uh, the Big East and, and, and Judy Genshaft and how all that went down. So it's it's now good to be back in a power position. And kudos, Mike. Did you see the article that I think the guy's name is Matt Baker um, from uh, Tampa Bay Times? I don't know the name of the newspaper. Yep. Uh, basically said that USF is a garbage program and their and their carpets are dirty. Uh, and I, <laughs> while the analogy, I don't maybe they, I don't even know if they have carpets because last time I saw their weight room was outside. Um, but uh, whatever the analogy, that was fantastic, man. That was a really good article. If you're a UCF fan, you will you will die laughing through that entire piece. <laughs> yeah, they're basically just calling them the trash program that they are that we all know that they are but now it's really coming to light I mean they did nothing with their head start they, they were spoon fed an advantage over us years ago did nothing with it never have won a conference never have even played in a conference championship game they, they've had a couple big wins early in seasons and then went on to blow those seasons and now they're a school with no fan base no support they're in Tampa. They're like the uh, afterthought in Tampa with all the other winning that goes on in that city. Nobody cares about the cows, and it's a beautiful thing. Well, but hold on, Mike. They they play the best, right? To to be the best, you got to play the best, right? Doesn't that count for anything? They've got a lot of two. For, they got a lot of teams coming in that Raymond James Stadium coming up soon. Does that matter? <laughs> Not really. Because I was told and that's a big deal. I was told that's a big thing. They have to you have to play the best. That's what I was told. Yeah, you also have to beat them occasionally, which they have never never do. At least not any time recently. But, uh, you know, I give them credit. They, they had some big wins uh, a decade ago. They beat Notre Dame. They beat Florida State. They beat West Virginia. And at the time, I was very jealous of them. And now they're getting what they deserve. And they're just going to just get their asses kicked in these games, like starting with the Gator game this year. And, you know, they'll be a team that nobody cares about. They'll be irrelevant in college football. Yeah, they're they're looking at the the doorstep of uh, just relative um, uh, just loneliness at this at this juncture because of all the all the other moving going around. You'll you'll see where they land, and such as no playoffs expansion. I mean, who knows? Uh, but this certainly isn't a, isn't a isn't a cows podcast. So we'll move on, Mike, to a guy who um, I don't think he ever got to play the cows. Uh, but if he did, he probably would have tore him up, Mike. And it was good news coming out today. We we talked about this guy's name a, a bunch during the coaching search situations. Uh, and today, news breaks that Darren Hinshaw, former quarterback at UCF, previously the offensive coordinator and quarterback coach at Kentucky, has joined the UCF staff as an analyst. I assume it's an offensive analyst. Uh, so he has now joined Gus Malzahn's staff uh, and will be an analyst level, Mike. So we now have SC, former SEC coordinators on our staff as analysts. Um, your thoughts on Darren Hinshaw returning home? Well, it's great to have one of our own guys back in Orlando. Hinshaw is one of the best quarterbacks we've ever had. And he was a coach here for us. He was an offensive coordinator for us. The Alabama game in 2000, he was up in the booth calling the plays into Schneider. He's got a lot of history with UCF, so I'm glad to see him back. I know he really wanted to get back in into this staff when we were searching for a new head coach. He was all over it. He wanted to get in there. And now, a little late, but he's there now. And I don't know exactly what his role of analyst is, but he's on the staff. And, you know, these things turn over year after year. If by the end of next year, G.J. Kinney finds himself somewhere else, then maybe he moves into his role. or He can be a quarterback coach. He can be an offensive coordinator. He's got the experience in the SEC with Kentucky being an offensive coordinator. So great to have him back. A name you know, a UCF legend, really. And I was happy to hear the news this morning. Yeah, he's got a good coaching resume. Um, and if if you're 
you're curious look up his time as an offensive coordinator so he was um quarterback coach at and wide receiver coach at tennessee from uh, 2010 to 2012 they put up some big numbers there then he actually went to cincinnati from 13 to 15 where he was the passing game coordinator and quarterback coach and cincinnati actually had an offensive revitalization at that point and then he went to Kentucky for 16 to 20, where, I mean, Kentucky definitely got him better as time went on. They had some really explosive athletes uh, over time there at, at Kentucky as well. So he, he definitely has a pedigree for coaching. Definitely kind of fits that Gus Malzahn, high-style offensive kind of mode. Uh, and just another veteran voice. I mean, the one thing you, I guess you could say about some of these coordinators, and this is G.J. Kinney's kind of first um, you know, foray, foray into the coordinator role, I think. Um, you know, same thing with Tim Harris Jr. I mean, he was a running back coach and, and a co-OC. So another veteran voice uh, that, that can help Malzahn help some of these young coaches kind of develop. Uh, and again, who better to help uh, teach uh, young guys? Now, I think the rule is with an analyst, you cannot have an on-field coaching responsibility. You simply are kind of behind the scenes from a playbook perspective. So I don't know that we'll get him on the field giving technical advice to uh, to Dylan Gabriel and the coach and the, the quarterback team there. But he, he obviously will bring a veteran presence to the coaching staff. And uh, it's, it's great to have former alums back. We talk about this all the time. We could build a great staff. Uh, with former UCF coaches or for, former players who are now coaches. I know we have Kareem Reed on the staff now and recruiting. Uh, so it's always great to have another night back on the staff. An experienced set of eyeballs to help game plan week to week. I, this guy, I, I'm sure, knows how to break down tape better than anybody. And he's going to be in the in the film rooms with these guys. They can only help. And you know, he is a UCF, uh, one of the greats. So uh, – I would love to see a staff of all UCF guys one day. And if, I think we did this one on, on a previous episode where we tried to do that, or at least we, we tweeted about it. He would definitely be on the list. Yeah, actually, Jordan Johnson just announced on Twitter he's heading to uh, to Northeast Oklahoma, I think it is, uh, to coach there after spending some time in Michigan. Uh, we saw Josh Alina move to Georgia Tech. Brian Waters moved to someplace in Oklahoma as well. So you are definitely seeing a lot of uh, UCF coaches uh, moving around there, Mike. Uh, we have coaches on our side currently now. And, Mike, they're going to get back to work this week. On the field, fall practice begins, uh, which means, Mike, it's time for our favorite pastime where – 30,000 of us review 10-second clips on Twitter of quarterbacks throwing the ball in the air and try to determine who's better. This year, obviously, we don't have a quarterback battle like we had in previous seasons, uh, so it, we, we kind of have that clearly defined, Mike. So I don't know. What are we going to look for this year during um, during these practice session um, uh, videos that Brandon Helwig and Trace Trelko and Jason Beattie put together? We don't Now we know the quarterback. What are we looking for? What, what are you going to be uh, Zabruder filming your way into to seeing what's happening? Don't forget all the stretching. Okay. Stretching videos right. are very important too. That's fair. But then uh, you got the guys. Okay, the quarterback. You know, Dylan's the starter. But then they, you have to read into who takes the reps with the second team and who goes with the third team. Is Quadri Jones taking the, the second team snaps, or is a guy like Mikey Keene find his way up the depth chart and move on up? Uh, same thing with every position on, on the roster. You see which order these guys are going, and then you, you kind of develop a two-deep roster based on these videos. And just a couple years ago, the fans, and we were right, when Brandon Wimbush looked like he was going to be the starting quarterback, and he couldn't complete a pass in you know five-yard out drills, uh, we knew there was a problem. And then we discovered Dylan Gabriel, and he, he looked sharp in those videos, and it turned out to be he was going to be the starting quarterback only a couple weeks into the season. So sometimes the fans – go a little overboard on these things, but sometimes we're right. <laughs> and sometimes you, you can f actually find things like that on, on these quick little videos. And I don't know how strict Gus is going to be. I mean, this is his first camp here. 
So is he going to allow more time? Usually it's only like the first 10, 15 minutes of practice that day, which involves a lot of stretching and just warming up. How, how open is Gus going to be with fall camp this year? Well, from UCF's uh, media site here, there will be an opportunity for in-person access to practices during this uh, during this uh, offseason here, limited to the first 15 minutes of each designated practice session. Uh, and then it says a C schedule below. So he'll have 15 minutes, and it sounds like it's going to be, it could just be 15 minutes of Gus walking around with a visor. You know, it could be 15 minutes of guys just putting their pads on. Uh, you, you know, I guess you don't know what you're going to get um, from that standpoint. But whatever it is, I'm sure we're going to dissect him, Mike, because we are now in the part of our lives, our calendars, where the NFL season is kicking off here, preseason. From now until the Super Bowl, Mike, there will be at least one football game on every week. So we have made it through the doldrums, even though preseason football is probably uh, – I don't know, I'd rather watch paint dry sometimes, but there will be football on every week from here through the Super Bowl. So when we see UCF players wearing pads and helmets, throwing things around in the air and making tackles, we are going to dissect the hell out of it. <laughs> Even goes past the Super Bowl sometimes with some of these uh, senior bowl games and all this stuff, right? Yep, yep. So, uh, but it's good to have football back. It's been a while. Feel somebody posted the other day that we were uh, what's Trillian Cole's number like thirty two. 33, 33 days away 33, from 33. Yeah. 33. Yep. <laughs> so it feels like a trillion days since that Boca Bowl. <laughs> we got to get that taste out of our mouth. That's the last time we saw UCF on the field. I can't wait to replace that with a, a good winning feeling against Boise. Well, stay near your, uh, your social media machines on Tuesday. So uh, probably right around the time that we're putting this podcast out, Gus Malzahn and uh, what UCF says, eight to 10 players will be taking the podium for UCF's media day. So, uh, I'm sure you'll hear a bunch of sound clips and a bunch of things there. We will obviously turn as many of those around as we can for the Suns UCF live show on Thursday. Wednesday is also the American Conference Media Day. So uh, Gus Malzahn, Dylan Gabriel, and Kalia Davis are scheduled to appear at that as well. Uh, so we'll be able to maybe turn some clips around for you there. So make sure you tune in Thursday. If anything that is noteworthy said, obviously, we will dissect it all and, and uh, bring it to you, Mike. Uh, speaking of dissecting, UCF social media team stays undefeated Saturday out of nowhere. All we got was a tweet that said 321 with a little bit of a rocket launch situation. Obviously everyone started really freaking out. Was it conference announcements? Do we have this, uh, the stadium naming sponsor? You know, what's it going to be? I'm sure a lot of people have set their watch, set their clock to 321, got to social media and saw UCF releases, I guess a patch of the upcoming, um, space game uniform, Mike. And uh, this one uh, has some unique characteristics to it. There was some red in it. There was some canaveral blue as well. Um, wh- so, A, wh- what did you make of the, the lead-up to the patch being released? And then, B, what did you make of the patch? <laughs> Honestly, I saw that 321 thing. I figured it was something to do with the space game. I really didn't get too excited about it. I didn't even check back in at 321. I kind of got a little busy there on Saturday. I don't even know if I've actually seen the patch since then. Oh, wow. What does it look like? Is it something about discovery or – I don't know. I, I'm not one to get too excited about the space stuff, but um, I, I guess people are getting worked up over it. They, they are worked up. I don't know how to describe it to you. It's called Mission 5 Discovery. Uh, it looks like a, um, uh, it's definitely a spaceship, and it's got some some red sort of, I guess, rocket flares coming from its wings – it's got a little uh, UCF uh, space game, but that's accented in Canaveral blue. So the the predominance of red in this, Mike, I would say outside of black, which is the patch color, not outside of white, 
there there's more red than any other color in this patch. So a lot of people are now saying, are we going to put some sort of red accent or red element to the uniform? Uh, Christian Simmons, uh, the foremost uniform expert, uh, was quick to point out that previously UCF did use red as they uh, spelled out USA on the side of their pants a few years back. Uh, but Mike, uh, I know how you feel about predominant colors. Uh, what what are you going to do if you see some red? If you see red jerseys, red pants, a red helmet, I mean, are you just going to revolt? Are you going to turn around and not watch the game? What are you going to do? Yeah, that, that's going <laughs> to be a little overboard if they go that way. <laughs> a little bit here and there. You know, I put up with the Canaveral blue. Uh, I, they did have the red that one time, and there was some navy blue, I believe, in that uniform too. Um, I don't know what I would do if we came out in all red. That, that Those are Houston colors. They're not UCF colors. I'm not a fan of going away from the black and gold. I've warmed up to the anthracite and and the pewter and all that stuff the last couple of years. Uh, it's okay with me. But when you start getting into other teams' main colors, like blue and orange and garnet and red, and definitely not green. There better never be a speck of green on any of our uniforms. <laughs> so, um, I, I, I don't know. The space game is it's an announced. It's, it's the Memphis game, right? So we, at least we know it's a nighttime game. It's not like a couple of years ago where we had a space game during the day yep. and everybody said, yeah, well, the sun is in space and all that stuff. Those jokes came out too, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's something the fans are getting excited about. It's another way for UCF to sell merchandise, which there is really is, yep. the, the main reason to do it. So yeah. They'll, they'll, they'll come out with some new squeezer shirts and all this stuff and people will, will go nuts with it. Well, I mean, I will say, uh, A, from a marketing perspective, we I, t- I say this every time we talk about Terry Mohajer, his, his marketing background is well documented, so I think he recognizes a chance to, to make money, as did Danny White. So if he can offload some uh, some space-related gear to the fan base, I mean, I have a Citronaut hat um, sitting right behind me, actually. So uh, a lot of people have some of those, so I imagine that'll work out. But B, I will say this, Mike, all the recruits that we see taking these little photo shoots in the locker room and tweeting about, you know, had a great time and respect my decision, all that stuff, most of them are wearing the space game stuff. And I don't know how that works. Do they get to choose? Is it just whatever fits you? But it, I mean, these uniforms definitely seem to, uh, to connect a little bit with uh, the younger recruits, Mike. So maybe and the net net of it is we make some money and we have kids who want to play here at the end of the day. I can't argue with that recipe. Yeah. All right. The helmets are cool. Let's say that there's the moon helmets is probably one of the coolest helmets you'll see in college football. So I get why kids like it. And, if that's what their goal is, is to attract recruits with it, then I'm fine with it too. If they want to make money and get good players here, then it works. And uh, I'm not going to complain about it, but I will complain if there's green uniform. <laughs> if the whole if the whole uniform is red, a red jersey, that's a little too much for me too. So, uh, incorporate a little bit here and there and change things up. Okay, just there there is a line and you just can't cross it. All right, well, you, you heard it here, uh, Terry Mohajer and friends. Do not go with the green or you will face the wrath of UCF Mike, and uh, and nobody wants that. So uh, so those are some headlines. That's what's happening in and around UCF. Again, the the quiet period's coming to – I don't know if it's actually been quiet, Mike. This offseason, typically you and I go into the summer months of the show and we're like, what the hell are we going to do for like three months when nothing's happening? And it feels like every week we had a, a new major story to break down. We've – I mean, this summer feels like it's flown by with all the different conversations we've had to have about all the changes coming to UCF and around college football. That's right. The program looks completely different than it did walking out of that stadium in Boca that day, where really excitement was pretty much at at a low for the lowest it's been in a few years. And now excitement is as high as it's been since 
probably coming off the 2017 season where we have a new face of the program, Gus Malzahn. We have Terry Mahajer running the ship now, and the team is reloaded. I mean, every week we seem to add a new guy to the roster. We, we have a bunch of guys that we're going to be talking about here in the next segment that we're all excited to see. So I, I am pumped up for this season. We have a nice schedule in front of us. Let's get this thing going, man. Only a few more weeks. All right, well, I'm, we're going to take a break. I need Mike to calm down. He's way too excited for us. We're going to take a break right here. When we come back, the big three, big three newcomers that Mike and I are really excited about, interested in seeing, and just curious on what will happen. So the big three newcomers coming up next. Mike's going to calm down, but you don't go anywhere. We're the Sons of UCF. We will be right back. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. UCF head football coach Gus Malzahn, and you should listen to the sons of UCF like your hair is on fire. Go Knights and charge on. Big three has returned, Mike. We've uh, we've had some fun with this big three stuff over the summer. It gets us through some of the dull periods, and, and luckily there haven't been that many, and uh, gives us a lot of new content, a, little, a lot of new fodder. And so if you're new to the proceedings, here's what Mike and I do. We have a topic we each get to pick three things uh, about that topic. We get three uh, selections, I guess, depending on what the topic is. Maybe they're good, maybe they're bad. Uh, we uh, we made an adjustment early on, thanks to Brandon, a, a listener of ours, recommended we start doing this draft style where you cannot pick the same three. So that's made this uh, a little bit more spicy as things have gone on, Mike. So this week's big three, you and I will each pick three. We'll go draft style. And it's big three newcomers that we are most, I guess, interested in, maybe excited about. Uh, maybe curious about so the big three newcomers so these are guys who have not previously played a down or worn a ucf uniform so the Jaden francois rule here mike he was on the roster last year so he would be ineligible for this year's particular award but i don't know if he made either of our lists so here's how this works uh, i'm gonna give mike first pick because i know he's gonna pick the big cat so we'll move on with that quickly then i get the next two and then mike gets the next two and then i get the last one so the big three newcomers coming to ucf mike do you want to get the big cat selection over with now <laughs> maybe i should throw a curveball and give you another one but i can't do it i can't <laughs> the big cat is the guy that i'm most excited to see the newcomer lots of hype surrounding the big cat lots of experience comes along with the big cat too SEC all-freshman team in 2017. He's had a very productive career. He was second-team all-SEC in 2020, voted team captain last year. He, he had an injury that kind of limited him a little bit, but still able to put up 10 sacks, two interceptions, two forced fumbles, a fumble recovery in his career so far. He's played for Gus in the past now, his whole career. He's been playing under Gus, so that's a big plus. And what is there not to like about the name? Jeff Sharon has a job ahead of him because we, we know how Eric Kohler used to get the crowd pumped up with some of these names. The doozable. And all. There's something there with Big Cat that's got to be done. Every time he gets a sack, anytime he makes a big play to get the crowd pumped up, uh, I'm interested to see what Jeff does with that. But uh, the Big Cat, number one, 
player I'm most looking forward to as a newcomer this year. I have a question about the big cat. I know you follow him closely. Um, did he? So was he always called the big cat with a K? Or did he change the big cat to a K when he got to UCF? Because if you look him up in some of the references, he's big cat with a C. So do you know, did he actually change the K to match UCF? Or uh, or, or do I have that incorrect? Yeah, I, my knowledge of the big cat doesn't go further back than when he decided to transfer to UCF. Because if he uh, if he changed it K. if he changed it to a K then then he's going to be my all time favorite. But if you go to College Football Reference, they list him with a big cat with a C. So I don't, I don't know what happened there. But if he changed that K because he's a he's a knight now, then he's a, he's already a legend in my mind. Yeah, <laughs> that's just another notch on his belt for us. Um, everything I'm seeing here has a, a K. I don't know where you're seeing big cat with a C. Yeah, I went but, to a College um, Football Reference. Um, and that's uh, that's what they have him listed as. So uh, yeah, maybe they just spell it incorrect. Uh, I don't really know. Can you pronounce his real first name though? I don't even know his real first name. Uh, Mark Caviest, I believe. M A R K A V I E S T. So maybe that's where the K comes from. Mark Caviest is his actual first name. Okay. What do you know about the big cat? Uh, Why do I have all this big cat knowledge? I thought you were the foremost <laughs> authority in the big cat. How, how does this happen? I know he's a big cat. Yeah, he's 6'5", 250 pounds of <laughs> raw muscle, this guy. And he can get after the quarterback, and that's something we've missed now. So I, You want to say Shaquem is the last real big pass rusher we, we've had here? Uh, go back. Guys like this that can wreck a game, somebody on, on the defensive line like a Bruce Miller that can, that can be a defensive player of the year for us. That's something – that we've missed now for the last couple of years on defense, especially the last season's defense was not good. So if he can come in and turn this thing around, and I, I love that he was the captain of the team last year. It shows his teammates have a lot of respect for him. And I love that coach Malzahn wanted him here. That, that was one of his big first moves when he got here, he brought the big cat along with him. So that speaks volumes for this kid too. Yeah, we're, I'm excited about the big cat as well. Obviously, you know, we can get pressure on the quarterback. Uh, it's, a, it's a huge thing. Uh, and, uh, and so I think that's, a, that's a, a big win for UCF to get the big cat, either if it's a C or a K, Mike. My first pick, I'm staying on the defensive side, Mike. And this one may come a little bit off the board. And I think it's a name that we're not, uh, we're not thinking a lot about. And this is, there's, there's some interesting, um, uh, I guess there's some intrigue with this guy because I, I, while there certainly is some positives here, there are still some question marks, Mike. So my number one, uh, uh, most uh, interesting newcomer is Bryson Armstrong. He is a linebacker transferred to UCF from Kennesaw State, where he was the uh, the conference defensive player of the year in both 2019 and 2020. Mike, he's 5'11", 210, so he's not exactly the strongest, uh, uh, biggest guy. But in his career at Kennesaw State, Mike, the guy has 314 tackles. I looked up Eric Gilliard, who's the probably the longest tenured linebacker we have at UCF, and his, his career has been here three years. He has 174. So in four years at Kennesaw, 314. Gilliard has 174, just for some context there. This kid seems like he flies around the ball. He makes plays. He seems pretty athletic. Uh, again, he's a four-year player. So clearly he's, he's probably seen and, and has dissected a lot of football. I'm not sure if he can play at this level. That's really the only thing that makes you kind of scratch your head as you get, ask yourself, okay, like that was cute and all at uh, Kennesaw State, but is he going to be able to kind of do that at UCF? Uh, I don't really know, but uh, again, we, we've, we've talked about the linebacker core needing somebody, needing that spark, and, uh, and, and we'll see what that looks like. I mean, he's had a bunch of monster games. 
and and so let's let let's see if he can you know if he can bring it to the table on this level um, because he certainly has the bona fides from a stat perspective and if he can uh, you know solidify the defense if if guys run scared from Big Cat and run right into Bryson Armstrong for 314 tackles I will be perfectly fine with all of that so Bryson Armstrong Mike is my first pick. That one kind of took me by surprise. I didn't see you picking him first, but that is the position where we have been searching too for a long time for to get some leadership out of the linebackers. And between him and BYU linebacker uh, Hercules Latu, Hercules Latu, yeah, yeah, those, those two guys can come in and, and really solidify that position to go along with Gilliard and Bethune and the other guys that are there. So I love that he's a tackle machine. That, that's that's for sure, but. Doing it where he was and coming over to now at a bigger stage and a bigger program at UCF. Let's see what he can do. Well, because the thinking is going to be that we've got such, uh, you know, such beef on the defensive line that th- those guys are going to occupy the the linebackers and and make uh, make running backs make cuts and and go in positions that they don't want to go into and that's where you're going to need solid linebackers right I mean if I'm anybody who's got a football in my hands I'm running in the opposite direction of Big Cat right I'm op- I'm running in the opposite direction of Ricky Barber I want Cam Good nowhere near my shoulders so I'm I'm going away from those guys and if we can funnel them to uh, to the linebackers th- they could have a big season obviously uh, T Will I think is a former linebacker was a linebackers coach. Uh, and so I, I think he, he certainly has an eye for that and maybe a, a, a tutelage perspective that can help. So linebackers could be big this year. Again, this kid comes with the bona fides, 314 in, in four years at Kennesaw State. Again, back-to-back defensive player of the year awards in the conference. Um, seems like a seems like a winner to me if he can put it all together. So that's my, my number one pick on that side, Mike. My number two pick, and I, I changed this once the news broke today about Bentavious Thompson because now obviously the running back room it's going to be a little bit more interesting, right? So we know Bentavious was probably in line, or at least we thought he would be one of the lead backs. Um, he had a pretty big career at UCF. We know his bona fides. But I'm going to go with Mark Anthony Richards as my second newcomer to be excited about. And obviously, we, we haven't seen a lot of him on the field, Mike. He, uh, he played a handful of games for, for Auburn. Again, I, I, I said it earlier, he had 20 carries in his Auburn career for 76 yards. But a little known fact, in the 2020 game, Auburn versus Alabama. He was actually Auburn's leading rusher that day with uh, 57 uh, yards on 14 carries. So almost all of his production came against Alabama, and that was a, a relatively good game. So uh, we, we know he's got skills. It was a four-star player coming out of, uh, of college. Obviously, he knows Gus's system, having been there. I think he redshirted it for a year and then uh, and then got on the field a little bit. So he knows Gus's system, which should put him a little bit ahead of some of the other guys in the running back room. Obviously, he did not have a spring season with us while he sat out the transfer stuff. So we haven't really seen him on the field yet, Mike. He's 6'1", 215, so he's, he's a bigger guy. He's, he's definitely not the, the smaller running backs we're used to at UCF. Uh, and we know uh, the, the pedigree, obviously, his, his older brother played at Miami for a couple of years as well. Uh, he was a, a finalist for um, High School Player of the Year in Palm Beach County. Um, so he definitely has a lot of the skills. He definitely has some stats, Mike. I think his familiarity with the offense, uh, hopefully his size, hopefully his youth, um, as, as athleticism, his speed. Now that Bentavious it potentially won't be getting carries, we need someone to pick those carries up. And Mark Anthony Richards is my selection, my second most interesting or uh, uh, intriguing guy uh, from a newcomer standpoint. Very good selection. He, he can be an every down back, this kid. He's got the ability to catch the ball out of the backfield if you need him to. I think we could even spread him out wide if we have to. He's explosive. He's versatile. He's got that good size and, and speed mixture. 
So with Ben Tavius out, I think he jumps right into that number one spot coming into camp now. It's there for him to take. He's got four years of eligibility left. He's a Florida kid that's come back home now. He's originally from Wellington, Florida, down here in Palm Beach area. So I'm very excited to see M-A-R. Is that his nickname? What are we calling this kid? Are we calling him Mark Anthony? I, th- I usually uh, see him abbreviated M-A-R. So, I mean, that sounds better than – it's Mark Anthony, by the way. There's no H in the Anthony, which is which throws a lot of people off. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm cool with M-A-R. Um, but you're right. Like So, between uh, – with if Bentavious is not in the picture, now you have, you have um, M-A-R – then you have uh, R.J. Harvey, who you know got a lot of carries in the spring game. It l- looks like Gus likes him, but R- R.J. Harvey is a, is a smaller guy. I think he's listed at five eight, um, which is pretty small for a running back. And then we have Isaiah Bowser, who maybe is more of the goal line guy. So between those three, that could be the bulk of the carries. And I feel like you're going to see Mark Anthony getting a lot of those carries between the twenties, right? Between the uh, and, and maybe once the goal line stuff comes into play, that's when you use more of R.J. or, or Bowser. But someone's got to take those carries in between the twenties, Mike. And, and and give me M.A.R. as that option. <laughs> yeah like i said you can be in every down back so um very good pick out of you uh especially with, with the bentavious news coming out today thank you all right so actually for my next two picks i i was gonna go with another running back that you just mentioned just now isaiah bowser because this guy has the experience he's done it now in, in a big time place north uh northwestern he's playing some big games over there he had over 80 yards seven different times he's had a big freshman year where he put up games of over 100 yards back-to-back weeks against teams like wisconsin and iowa he put up 165 yards versus iowa 166 yards against illinois he could be a workhorse this kid you can give him the ball 20 to 30 times he's not scared he's done that in the past like i said played in big games and championship games against ohio state uh, he's got 1,300 career yards, seven touchdowns in his career, and he's a big kid, 6'1", 220 pounds. You use him in the short yardage package. You use him around the goal line. We talked about him when he first signed over here. He could be that touchdown vulture. You get down close, and I'm sure Malzahn will have a nice package for him to run in those short yardage situations, The what we used to call the go bone package. Maybe he's in there for that. I, I like the potential this kid has. Um, he looks like a strong running back. And like I said, coming over with some good pedigree and playing some big time games. Yeah, this is going to be interesting because again, now, now what becomes of the running back room? Matavius was a bigger back. Was he the goal line guy? But Bowser is the most experienced guy in the team. Like, um, just to a couple quick stats in 20, uh, 2018, he had a hundred, he had 866 yards on the ground, six touchdowns. And in 2020, he re- carried the ball 78 times, but eight touchdowns. So probably more of that short yardage back of a, a big guy. And like Bowser, by the way, I mean, you feel like it's a guy who's going to knock somebody over, right? Like, I hope he's going to knock somebody over. <laughs> yeah, it sounds tough, right? It sounds it like a good running back. Uh, so it, it could be a, a nice combo between Mark Anthony Richards and Bowser, a one-two punch, uh, and maybe something to reckon with. And then you got the other guys, R.J. Harvey and Johnny Richardson. Yeah. So that, that's that's the main reason we're not as concerned about the Ventavious not on the roster anymore because of guys like this, these transfers. Now, if these transfers weren't in here, then, yeah, we, we'd be some big concern going on this morning. Yeah, I mean, Gus has options, right? I mean, you see a scenario where, yeah, let's just say that, that MAR is your every down back, right? And then, you know, you get a second and short, you throw Johnny Richardson in there and throw a little screen pass to him and he pops it for 50 yards, right? 
then you bring MAR in for, uh, you know, maybe a 10-yard run off the outside. You know, then you bring R.J. Harvey, and he barrels you down to the one. Then you bring Bowser in, and he just, you know, plows that thing in, right? I mean, you could see scenarios where all those things could take place in the same drive. Uh, so it definitely gives uh, gives Gus some of those options. And that's not even mentioning some of the other guys. Obviously, Demarius Good um, is another guy. Anthony Williams is a, is a true freshman that uh, a lot of people are high on. Uh, so th- there certainly are options there, but ba- Bowser stands, in my opinion, to to least potentially get those goal line vulture third and short type of carries that we we all lamented under the hypo regime when it was third and short and we had no you know we were running AK up the middle right and and so Bowser maybe takes some of that off um, maybe saves us from having to use Dylan Gabriel and quarterback sneaks all the time stuff like that so I think it's a good addition like I think the veteran presence is going to be even bigger now right because if Bentavious isn't in that locker room I mean the rest of these guys are, are young guys uh, so having a veteran in there I think certainly is another another big win another big feather in the cap for Bowser and actually he can serve as a decoy too and you have a big guy like this and you bring him in in a short yardage everybody stacks up against them thinking you're handing it to him and boom all of a sudden you throw a pass over the middle to Hescock wide open for a touchdown or whatever it is so um I just had to say Hescock again I did all right so Mike on the board so far with uh, big cat and Bowser as his too I've got uh, Armstrong and MAR as my two Mike for your final selection of uh, your big three who you got i got a few different ways I can go with Me this too. one. Me too. Yeah, I'm really concerned what you're going to do here. But I'm going to go to the all-important third phase of the game. Oh. And Riker Casey. Okay, okay. Kicker coming over from Appalachian State. We know the troubles we had in the kicking game, specifically last year. No, the last two years, really. But last year, missing the kick against Memphis to win it. Obarski has had his troubles with kickoffs over the last couple of years, kicking a bunch of balls out of bounds. This guy is a kickoff specialist. He's got a very powerful leg. If all he does is come in and kick the ball through the end zone every single time after a score, he's, he'll have done his job. But I think he's going to have a real chance to win the regular place-kicking job too and kick the field goals and the extra points for us. So looking forward to seeing what he brings. At least it's some competition for Obarski. So if anything, he'll make Obarski better. But I, I think we're going to see a good amount of this kid this season. Riker Casey, the all-important special teams addition. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this last week. Here's some interesting info, though, Mike. Do with this what you will. Riker Casey, according to his bio, uh, he kicked off 50 times last year for App State. He had 14 touchbacks. He averaged 55 yards per kickoff. I don't know if he was their primary kickoff specialist, so that's what I don't know. But for context, Obarski kicked off 78 times for UCF and had 50 touchbacks. So, I don't know. Maybe Obarski has the stronger leg. And I, what I don't know, it seems like Riker Casey has not kicked a field goal um, in live action yet in college. So, maybe that's the thing that he can do better. But uh, th- there certainly is uh, a need for more competition. If, if nothing else, it brings out the best in uh, – and what we have here in Obarski, if, if at the very you know very least, if Riker Casey comes in and he can be a, an upgrade, then we'll take that too. But there certainly are questions on the kicking game. I will also mention, Mike, that Garen Bolniel, whose dad uh, is former uh, um, NFL kicker Chris Bolniel, he is now listed on the official roster. He played at Louisiana Tech in 2020. Uh, he had five kickoffs. I don't think any of them were for touchbacks because they don't mention that here. Uh, so another kicker, at least on the roster, um, to... Uh, to maybe spice things up, although he's listed as a kicker punter, so I don't know what his what his uh, his object is. But obviously, um, uh, Gus is continuing to find guys to bring in to push special teams. Well, I was going to mention that too. Casey is able to punt, so 
you never know. Something happens to Osteen. Maybe he gets banged up or something or something down the line. You have somebody else that's able to do that. That's a very important play, too. <clears throat> All right. So you're going special teams. You're going Riker on your third one. Mike, I'm struggling here. You did not pick anybody that I had. I have so many options on my plate right here. Uh, Jordan Johnson was the name I was thinking of. He's the, the Notre Dame transfer, the former five-star. I didn't go with him. I feel like that's too obvious. I was really stuck between the two uh, receivers, Robinson and Johnson, Caden Robinson and Brandon Johnson. And I also have Ricky Barber, who is the other D tackle. And I already went one defensive guy on my board. Um, and so, uh, but I also got, got, you know, one offensive guy, Mike. So I'm going to go with Ricky Barber, the defensive line transfer from Western Kentucky, Mike, six foot three, 290 pounds. Obviously, to be successful uh, in, in, in any level of football, you got to win the lines of scrimmage uh, with, with Big Cat now, with, with Clea Davis coming back, with Cam Good, and then a 6'3", 290 Ricky Barber in the middle. Uh, that certainly bodes well to maybe put some pressure on the quarterback. I'm like, I had to, to double-check this. I, I don't know if these stats are accurate. I don't know where this comes from, but he was obviously at Western Kentucky. They listed him at Western Kentucky last year as 51 tackles, four sacks, and 27 hurries. I don't know if that's a lot. I feel like 27 hurries is a lot because I feel like when you looked at the stats for our guys, it was like three or four a game. Uh, 27 hurries overall. So if this guy can actually get um, get pressure on the quarterback right up the middle, right in his face, where the quarterbacks very very much don't like quarterback at, uh, pressure at their feet, uh, this could be a game changer, Mike, particularly if he can uh, occupy blockers and free up other guys, linebackers. So I'm going to stay on the defensive side. I'm going to go Ricky Barber as my uh, my third guy. Uh, on the list here just the, again the the size the measurables the experience um you know if he can come in and, and, and play at this level here uh he will be a huge asset for UCF right I had this guy listed too I was going to pick him um but he is a big kid too 6'2 290s listed at and that is a spot where you're right getting pressure up the middle quarterbacks hate that more than even coming off the side because they don't have time to react to it and 27 hurries does seem like a lot. That's what it says in his yeah, bio. I actually I checked UCF's last year, and the, the top guy, um, at least on their on their stats website, the, the top guy last year for UCF had four, which was Antonio Montavo. <laughs> so if if, uh, if 27 is accurate, oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, he was the 2020 freshman All-American yep. for Western Kentucky. He was All-Conference USA Honorable Mention. And he came over with Coach Kenny Martin, so he's got some familiarity with some coaches on the staff, and they know what he's capable of too, which is a big reason why he's here. So put him on the line with the big cat and Traymond Morris-Brash and then Kalia Davis and Cam Good and these guys. The defensive line, we talked about it on the live show. We can rotate two full lines and not be worried about any position. And all these guys are capable of coming in and being big-time players, guys like Salascar, Montalvo, uh, the list goes on and on. So the defensive line is going to be the most improved position on the field this year. I think we all expect it to be. And that's just going to open up everything else for the linebackers, like we mentioned earlier. And, and the secondary will have an easier time. Yeah, let me give my honorable mention to Caden Robinson. He was a, he was a tough omission, Mike. Uh, he's a junior college kid out of New York. Uh, we're number two for UCF now at the receiver position. Uh, they did not play in 2020, but in 2019, the kid had 37 catches for 879 yards and nine touchdowns. That's 23 yards a catch, 6'3", uh, 205. Uh, looks silky smooth running routes, Mike. He may be a name that we see a lot this year. So my honorable mention goes to, to Caden Robinson for sure. Yeah, there's so many guys to pick from. Well, Nate Craig Myers coming over. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he played two years under Gus at Auburn, transferred to Colorado State. 
he was a top 10 wide receiver coming out of high school. So many guys here that can come in and it's like, we have a whole new team. Really <laughs> like is, we yes. said earlier, yeah. we have so many guys at so many impact positions that we don't know what to expect. And that's why we're all looking forward to watching those five minute video clips when, or 30 second clips that trace gets whenever he's walking around practice. So, this is it, man. Let's do it. I'm ready to see these guys in action. I actually tried really hard to find like a true freshman that I was excited about, and and not that uh, you know I, I'm I'm not, but uh, it, it, you know, there's so much depth and so much talent that came in from the portal that you know even the true freshmen, the actual true recruits, it was it's tough to even pick a name out of there because these depth charts are going to be really 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 long, really big. Uh, and uh, a lot of veteran guys in front of him. Like, I was going to pick your guy, Herkley Latu, because uh, at first I saw a 6'3", 250, and I'm like, man, that's a man with linebacker. Looked up his stats. He's got one career tackle. So we may need to see him do it on the field. <laughs> but outside of that, he certainly looks like he uh, he will look the part uh, if he gets in the field. <laughs> he looks good getting off the bus. So. That's, uh, he's the all-bus team. So that is our big three. Again, to recap, Mike has... Uh, Big Cat, Isaiah Bowser, and then Riker Casey. I have Bryson Armstrong, MAR, Mark Anthony Richards, and Ricky Barber as my three. If you're going to let us know who's three you're most intrigued about, you can find us on social media, and you can tell us which one of us got it right. But don't go anywhere next. Uh, Joe Burnett, a UCF legend. If you have not heard this conversation, uh, uh, Joe Burnett is one of the – I don't know, like one of the top five all, all-time guys at UCF. I don't even know what that list is at, uh, but uh, he's he's one of the best. He's a legend, and uh, you're going to want to hear a little bit from Joe Burnett. So don't go anywhere. Joe Burnett coming up next. Sounds of UCF. This is UCF Athletic Director Terry Mahajer, and in my spare time when I'm not on TikTok, I'm listening to Adam and Mike on the Sons of UCF. Go Knights and charge on. All right, so our next guest, uh, you will remember his time at UCF. He, uh, he was in the end zone a lot. Uh, he was in the end zone a lot. He uh, had a lot of big plays. Uh, he, was a, he was a star on the defensive side of the ball. He was also a star on special teams. He's an All-American, and he has his name in the UCF Ring of Honor. And it's none other than uh, cornerback Joe Burnett who joins us on the show. Joe, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. No problem at all. Thank you for having me. All right, Joe, let's let's start here. We were doing some research on you and, and something I learned that I did not really know about you, man. So um, it looks like you were a, a multi-sport star coming out of high school in Eustis uh, and actually had some opportunities maybe to even play basketball. There was some talk about you going to the McDonald's All-American game. Um, so with all those options to you, man, why did you choose football? And then why did you choose UCF? Uh, like, yeah, I, I had a real good career, you know. Um, you know, coming out of high school when I played – Growing up playing with Jermaine Taylor, who was a big-time player at University of Central Florida as well, uh, him and I, you know, we, we decided to go to U- University of Central Florida just because it was close to home, you know, and I, I had an opportunity that my family could come out and support me. And my family been alongside me since I was a young kid, and um, and that pretty much, you know, motivated me to go further and further, you know, as far as in my career and make, make those big plays just to see mom smile. And um, just just coming out of high school, I actually played basketball as a hobby, and it just turned out where I was pretty good. You know, in high school, Jermaine Taylor went to Tavares High School. I went to Houston High School. So us competing against each other and then having the opportunity to play basketball in college, that was like one of my number one goals to do. And um, when I when I made the choice to go to University of Central Florida, I called him and said, "Hey, man, I'm going to I'm going to UCF." And uh, he he decided shortly after that to go to UCF as well. So then I knocked on Coach O'Leary's door, 
and say, hey, coach, I want to play basketball as well. He kind of looked at me and smiled. He said, if you become a starter, then I'll let you do it. And then after that, I became an All-American my freshman year. Went back to his office, and he, he said, man, we need you in the gym. I can't have you on the basketball court. So I was like, oh, man. <laughs> so that kind of ended that, that basketball career for me. But, you know, I thank God for the career I had and the big plays that I made at UCF. Oh, man, that would have been so cool. Did you ever talk to Coach Spiro about it? Was he ready to put you on the team? No, we. I never did once. O'Leary shut it down, you know, from there. It, just like you said, um, Kevin Smith and I, we, we were roommates coming in, and his focus and my focus just pretty much, you know, that energy with, with what we had, it was like we were on a mission from day one, you know, being roommates, hitting the weight room, doing field drills and things like that. We was always – uh, competing with each other. And when we went back into the dorm room, it was like, job well done. You know, that was a day's work we put in. And and from there, our focus was just getting to the next level or just being the best we could be on University of Central Florida. So that, I didn't think about basketball no more from that point until we started doing intramurals. And I played against some of the guys, uh, the point guard that was there at the time, you know, uh, during intramurals and stuff like that. I was like, man, I wish I played basketball. <laughs> you know, I wish I played basketball. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, when you got there in 2005, we were in the middle of a 17-game losing streak. You know, we lost the first mm-hmm. couple games that year. And then finally we break through and we beat Marshall. Was there just like a big sense of relief throughout the whole team when that happened? Oh, absolutely. I think that was that was the same game. They, uh, they tore the goalposts down. Everyone rushed the field. So it was like, oh, we just covered something huge. And from there, we just continued to build on that, that celebration and that win against Marshall. And um, But breaking that streak, it was like, what 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 a better feeling to be O'Leary's uh, first recruiting class. And then we finally get to break the streak, and, and we're finally off to winning games, you know. I think in that game I had a couple of big plays as well, so I, I feel like I contributed, put my hand in the pile, and uh, we got the job done. So that that was a great feeling, you know. I, I can I'm picturing that right now. How everyone just rushed the field and broke broke the goalposts and all that good stuff. So that was the exciting moment, you know, being at uh, UCF. Well, something I'm picturing, Joe, is uh, you you had the game clinching interception against Rice that sent us to the championship game. Uh, that was that was a crazy scene, right? Uh, you guys you guys celebrated on the field. What do you remember? Can you take us back to that play? What do you remember about that pick and then the the celebration afterwards when you guys realized that we had just uh, stamped our ticket to the championship game? I mean, that I, I think, uh, like you say, Kevin Smith had a pretty good game, but I was always had a chip on my shoulder where. I, I went into games where I had to make the big play. I had to make, come up with, with something that, that, that was great for us to get over a hump to win the game. And um, going into that drive, I think we may have scored or something like that or whatever. We had to stop them. I believe it was what it was. We had to stop them. And um, at that point, I was like, it's all on me. And and he did a three-step. The quarterback at the time on Rice, he did a three-step drop. And the wide receiver wasn't out of his break at the time. And I was and I was licking my chops at that point. I was like, oh, he's coming my way. He hasn't he and he did a curl right a curl route or a comeback route and I broke early on the route and um from there I was his game is his game's over. Game's over. So I was running down the field like celebrating in my head, like just tackle me right now so I can go up and celebrate with the team that we just won this game and uh and I think that was that was a big game far as um us getting advancing or something to the playoff. I can't remember what it was, but that same game, I also had a punt return, you know, to set things 
Cubs for a touchdown. And uh, I was like, wow, this, this game here was just awesome for me. You know, game-winning, game-winning drive to win it, you know, touchdown during the game. So I, I was, you know, on the, bu- on the bus just calling mom, like, wow, we did it, we won, we won. So I was so excited about that game. You know, I remember that one as well. Definitely remember that one. Yeah, that season was a great season. Unfortunately, it ended with a couple of losses. I mean, the championship game to Tulsa and then the Hawaii Bowl to Nevada. But there was a sense that we kind of – the program was arriving now. We had t- turned the corner with those games, right? Because that, that championship Absolutely. game, we had 50,000 people in that in the Citrus Bowl. We had people on the upper deck. That was a big deal back then. Absolutely. You know, I, I mean, we don't – me, Kevin, Mike Walker, all of us, we don't talk about it much, but we knew that coming in 05 class was – O'Leary's first recruiting class, you know, coming off that 0-11 season, and and the guys that he recruited, you know, pretty much helped turn that program around, you know, along with disciplinary coaching, Coach O'Leary, you know, making the right calls and putting us in the right position and things like that. But it was a couple, a lot of guys on that team that made a lot of key key contributions to that season, you know, to help turn that program around. And from there, like you say, you know, look what we did the last two years under Frost and everything. So it it was just, like, awesome, you know, Frost and the current coach now. It was just awesome just to be a part of that turnaround, that curve from the 0-11 season and back history before 2005, you know, for where UCF, UCF stands now. Well, Joe, Mike mentioned the Citrus Bowl. So as, as fans, we, uh, we were at the Citrus Bowl. We saw a ton of games there. And uh, I can tell you firsthand, the amenities there were kind of slim for the fans. What about as a player? What was it like playing in the Citrus Bowl? And, and what were some of the sort of the, the memories you have of, uh, of the setup that we had down there uh, at the Citrus Bowl? Oh, you, you bring up the Citrus Bowl. Oh, man, I, I got a bad memory in my uh, head right now. It was uh, Pittsburgh. was playing Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh oh. Panthers. Oh, no. And it was uh, <laughs> that was the first game that we wore all black. And I, we that whole week, we were we were pulling uh, Coach O'Leary's arm. Please let us wear black. Let us wear black. We're going to come up. We're going to show up and da-da-da-da. First play of the game, they ran it back on us. And it was like a nightmare with all black us. From that point, O'Leary said, no more black. We we're never wearing black again. You know, and that, that's that's what memory was a bad memory. But, you know, it was a, it was a, a eye-wakening for us, you know, that we're a team. You know, no matter what we wear, no matter what jersey we have on or whatnot, we're a team. We've got to play together, and we got to come out and play fast. So that, that game was a bad memory for me. Other than that, you know, um, I, I, the crowd wasn't that big, but I just can remember punt returns, standing in the, standing deep back in punt returns, the light, bright lights, big stadium. And it was it was an eye-opener for me as far as getting to that next level in the NFL level. Uh, being in that big stadium but other other than that I was that that memory is out of my mind as far as the Citrus Bowl and all the memories that we created in in the uh, Bright House Stadium you know it overshadows you know those those memories in that stadium there yeah I remember that Pittsburgh game man that thing was over in like the first 10 minutes <laughs> it was horrible <laughs> right absolutely was, oh, absolutely. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely okay so then um that 2006 season kind of went downhill quickly. But 2007, you just mentioned it. The new stadium, the fans are pumped. How pumped are you guys coming out of the tunnel the first time in that new stadium? Oh, man, we, we feel the electricity in that stadium. You know, you can remember how the, how the cameras bounce on the stadium and whatnot. It was it's so loud in that stadium, man. That, 
the memory there, that's all I talk about now, man. You, if you ain't never been to a game, a college football game, you got to go to UCF and that stadium, how it just rocks. And when I talk to the guys about watching film, we just looking at film and the, the cameras just going up and down and stuff like that. The support that we had in that stadium, building that stadium campus, it was, it was like exactly what we needed, you know, for, for that program to be what it is today. You know, just that, that home vibe and that home support that the fans, the student athletes, the students that can come and support their players, the, you know, the athletes on the field or whatnot is that that was amazing. You know, it's just to have that opportunity to play on your home field, home stadium in your backyard, you know, and it was like being that we got that. That's what we guarded. That's what we 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 had to to uh, if it was two dogs, one bone, you know, we had to win those games at that stadium in order to make it what it was and what it is today. Well, yeah, that 07 season was, was actually really promising, right? So uh, almost beat Texas. Uh, we beat NC State. And then we had two kind of ugly losses, one to ECU and then one to the Cows. Uh, so as a leader in that team at that point, what did, what did you and the rest of the guys do to make sure the season didn't spiral out of control? Obviously, we still had all of our goals in front of us at that point, but what was kind of said in the locker room? Or what did you guys talk about at practice in terms of just making sure that uh, we finished that 07 season strong? I mean, it, it really was Coach O'Leary. You know, when he came in and put the, took the names off the jerseys and said that we're a team and we, we got to stand up as a team, and O'Leary, just his disciplinary actions that he inputted in us, it was like we, we, we had to play for him. We had to do a lot of things for him. But together, you know, even with Christy Belden, the uh, ac- ac- academic advisor, you know, she was even had her hand in the power with study hall and stuff like that. She did this um, – this leadership thing that we did, I can remember where she took all the leaders in, on, on, on the team, the captains and whatnot, and we did like this this leadership thing and some, some you know, she had some ropes involved and, and all kind of stuff involved. It, it's just building the character and the leadership um, to, to, to make a direction that we should go far as, you know, being that we were the current Knights at the time. And it, it was that brotherhood that was in us. It was like we, we hung out together, we did things together, remember like Rocky Ross, he had a house, you know, off campus and everyone show up over there and it was all football mentality. You know, it was never goofing around and stuff like that. It was everywhere we went, it was like a brotherhood or a family. And um, just that leadership that we had in the room, it just built a character with the young guys behind us to, to keep that going, that family atmosphere, because, you know, UCF is, is it's built on a circle, you know, it, it was like, it, it was home for us. It was a family atmosphere. And, um, we, we just brought into what, or what O'Leary was trying to make us do far as coming together as a team, you know? And I think he set the tone with, with doing that, taking our names off the Jersey and, and saying we are one team and everyone brought into what he was trying to, uh, show us. And, and I think that's, that's where the leadership started from with, with O'Leary. Yeah, you guys definitely had chemistry together, and you guys ended up winning the conference championship in 2007. And you personally, in that game, one of my favorite plays to watch on replays is the punt return. You had a lot of punt returns for touchdowns in your career. Is that your favorite one? Uh, I, it, no? it, it, might, it might have been the favorite. I had a, a few of them, actually. My, the, the, the best thing I love about, you know, those punt returns is just how the crowd got into it. And they used to chant, Joe, Joe. Yeah. And I can remember I can remember <laughs> that chant. And it just it, it was like my heartbeat just got harder and harder, louder and louder. And then I started to talk to myself, here we go. Here we go. They with me, you know. So 
from that point in that moment, it was every time the ball was in the air, I, I just had a chip on my shoulder. Like I was going to break one or two, make the first guy miss, and it was going to be a big play, a lot of yards or a touchdown. And, um, you know, I, I, I can't I can't call all of them, but it's true. That, each one of them, the, the crowd was there, support was there, and um, how loud they were, that's, that's what I noticed from each and every one of them, how the fans were just so involved in the situation that was going on. You know, we got Joe Burnett smoking Joe in the back, and it's going to be a big play. And that that just lift me up to do all I could do on the field to make them give them something to cheer for. Yeah, you were our offense in a lot of those games. I mean, we weren't scoring that much some of those times. <laughs> and when you were back there to get a kick or on a kickoff or a punt, I mean, that yeah, everybody was pumped up to see you back there, man. But mm-hmm. the, the only thing Tulsa I'm talking about is because he's the guy spun you around and you kind of you know right. It just looks cool. Right. Oh yeah, absolutely. And like you say, that that was a big play where we needed a spark. You know, our offense were going three and out, three and out, and we needed a spark. And and I and I pride myself on that because I know we always talked about it in the meeting rooms uh, as the punt returners and stuff. We this is the offense possession. You know, let's let's get the most yards we can get give our offense a good field position and hope for the best once they're on the field. And if we don't give them good field position, let's score a touchdown. You know, that was the mentality. That was the mentality of the pro returners at the time. And each time I was back there, I mean, I, I licked my, lick my, lick my lips and had a chip on my shoulder. Like it's, it's big yarders or a touchdown. One or the other. I can't get stopped. No fair catches. Let's get in the end zone, you know? All right, Joe, something that we're still mad about is that, uh, we never got you a win against the cows while you're at UCF. Does that make you as mad as it makes us? And and having said that, how sweet has it been to see um, sort of what's happened over the last six years, particularly the last two years with us beating the cows? You said beating who? The cow, yeah, uh, the, the the cows, USF. You know the, the those other guys. USF. Oh, the cow. <laughs> I got you. I mean, yeah, I, like you said, that that was that was just. A- you know, um, that was disappointing because you always want to win that rival. You always want to keep that rival going. What was more disappointing is that when they stopped the rival, I was like, why would they stop this rival? Even though we lost a couple of times, it was like, keep this going. They are for rivals. But, you know, you always want to win that one. And it, it was, you know, real disappointing that, you know, we never could get a win out of it, you know. And I, I never – never pride myself on you made big plays you had you know you did great things in that game but we lost at the end of the day you lost so you know you're you're a loser either you're gonna win or you're gonna lose you know go go hard or go home and um each game we did lost you know we we played well we fought hard in a lot of those games and you know we came up short you know those were those were very disappointing games because it was a lot of trash talking before the game and Either we were going there, they were coming to our house, and they came up with the win each time. So, very disappointing. It's one that you always wish you could get back. You know, playing a rival team. Well, as a kick returner, how sweet was it to uh, to see a fellow kick returner, Mike Hughes, uh, seal the win for us in 2017 at home? Oh man, that was awesome. That was awesome. A lot of those guys that you know they came up big and uh, played big, uh, coming coming behind me, and, um, and like you say, that 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 was awesome, and I liked it. That a lot of guys you know, posted on Facebook or some type of social media outlet saying, man, he looks like Joe Burnett. So that that's good that my name still rings as, you know, uh, younger guys behind me in the same position 
making big plays for UCF. So that that was awesome, you know, to see those see those guys like uh, Mike Hughes. Yeah, he, you know, he wore your yeah he wore your number plays. too. He wore that number nineteen too. So you yeah, guys had that in common. That's, and that's it, right. And that's that's why I most got most people say, man, that that looked like smoking Joe on the field again. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we know Coach O'Leary was a pretty fiery guy. We talked about it. We talked to him last week about it. Uh, but since you were on the defensive side, did you think, did you th- feel that he was tougher on you guys on defense in practice or during the game? Uh, I think it was, he was an even kill. You know, um, you know, he he always knew. I think he knew that the defense was going to come to play. The defense was going to get a three and out and give us the ball back. And it was it was the mindset of a head coach. Once we get this ball back, we have to do something with it in order to create opportunities to win. If you don't put no points on the on the scoreboard, then you never win. No matter what defense you got on the field that can complete a shutout or whatnot, you got to put points on the on the field to win. So I, I think he 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 pushed us and he pushed he drove us hard to compete each and every game and go out and play our best, but. All the marbles on the offense, we have to score. We got a defense in place that can stop guys or stop stop um, teams from uh, moving the ball on us. But once we get the ball back, if we don't do anything with it, we're in the same boat, you know. So I, I don't. I think it was an even kill with both sides of the field. It was just you know he leaned more on the offensive side to create things or create plays to to uh, capitalize on good field position. So, Joe, after your junior year, you uh, you contemplated going to the draft, but ultimately decided to come back to, to UCF for your senior season. What went into that decision? What was the biggest factor that led you to come back to UCF for one more year? Uh, the, big, the biggest thing for me, one, I wasn't ready yet. You know, and I, I advise all guys who have the opportunity to come out early. If they're not in the top, you know, top, top of the draft, then stay and get your education. You know, that was big for me. That, that was the main goal going to UCF. That's what mom wanted. That's what made mom most proud is uh, getting your education. So I thought about that. It kind of beat me up as I was going through the process and uh, working out and things like that. I felt like I was making the wrong choice at the time. And, um, you know, I probably wouldn't say that now, but <laughs> I felt like I was just making the wrong choice at the time and I needed to go back and get my education and, and then pursue it. You know, I felt like I, I built enough resume that if I stay one more year and uh, play my senior year out, that I'll still have an opportunity on the table to play in the, at the next level in the NFL. And, um, you know, but may not, you know, things may not work out in the NFL and I don't have an education or able to afford getting one at that point. So I felt like I had to go back to school to get my education and then pursue the NFL. So I was just trying to make mom proud with the with the degree in my hand. That's awesome. Yeah, man, you got your degree. You were an All-American. You have your name in the Ring of Honor. You were drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers. You've made a nice living playing football for the last how many years now? So who's better than you? Uh, (laughs) Absolutely, man. Did a ten-year professional, so two in the uh, NFL and eight in the Canadian League. And um, you know, I I left everything going to field, so I have no regrets. The game don't owe me anything. You mentioned you played uh, you played eight seasons in the in the CFL. Obviously, most fans know the CFL. The field's longer. You play more games. But overall, for you, what was your experience like playing up in uh, up in Canada? It, it was it was awesome, man. And I try to encourage guys who are coming out in the lead that keep their op- options open for the CFL because you know I look at the CFL, you know, like the brother 
of the NFL, you know, the cousin of the NFL or whatnot, and the fan base there, the support you have there, you know, it, it's it's second to none. You know, Canada is awesome. You know, I always give them credit for what they're doing over there. It's a small league with just nine teams, but the fan base, the support, and the and the uh, competition that they have in in Canada is just it's awesome. You know, it's and, and I, I loved it there. I actually had an opportunity to come back to the NFL after my first second year over in uh, the CFL, and I actually turned it down just to stay over there. You know, and to make a career out of it. You just you know, everything over there is just for me. It, it suited me, and 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 I had a real good career over there, eight year career. You know, and my name still rung bell, so I was like, why not stay where I wanted to that and 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 continue to play and make plays. You know, so it just worked out for me. And and like I say, I encourage guys if they going into that going into the route of professional level that keep keep uh, CFL as an option. You know, they're second to none and. They do a real good job over there with that lead. Well, so what's what's your current status? I know uh, are you are you taking some time off? Are you uh, still trying to play football? Maybe in the states, back in Canada. What's your what's your current uh, playing status? Yeah, out, out of the last three years, I broke my ankle twice, and um, last year I broke my ankle, and I think that was it for me. So I'm actually I, I was released last year after I broke my ankle after the season was over, so I wasn't able to retire right away but technically i put in my order to retire I'm, I'm retired from football and currently now i'm uh in the trucking industry i own my own company i have a team smoking joe trucking llc and i'm and i'm um currently right now at a truck stop and get, get doing my 10-hour reset you know, <laughs> as far as dot regulation but i own my own company in the trucking world and um it's doing going great for me you know i just i've been in it now for three and a half weeks and you know this is something that i actually love to do now it's my new passion in the trucking world well that's awesome joe man congrats on uh congrats on a heck of a career both uh stateside and uh and in canada but we're not done with you yet joe so we end every interview here we appreciate your time today uh we end every interview with 10 rapid fire questions so these can be questions about football about sports about life about music uh these are hard-hitting questions joe so you never know what you're going to get but are you prepared to face Uh the rapid fire questions uh oh, I, I believe so. Okay, here go you go. Go ahead, let me have it. What's more fun, coming up with a big INT to win the game, or returning a kick or a punt to the house to win the game? Ooh, returning the kick or a punt to win the game. Absolutely, that's uh, absolutely returning the kick or a punt. Because, like you say, everyone wants the ball in their hand. You don't always get that opportunity as an interception, but you know they got to kick to you or kick in your facility where you can return that punt and guys gonna block for you and the crowd goes wild with a big play like that. Yeah, what's, what's that like for the for the majority of us out there that will never experience that? What's that like to, to see the ball floating in the air and you got 11 guys running at you as fast as they can trying to hit you? You're trying to negotiate the catch, the guy. Like, what's what's that whole experience like as a, as a kick returner for those of us who will never get back there and try to catch the ball? O'Leary used to use a word called kamikaze. <laughs> and he asked us, well, do we know what a kamikaze is? A kamikaze is a is the guy that stands up in the room and say, I'll do it, but not knowing his mission is to run into a, a freaking brick wall first, the first line of offense in, in the Army or whatnot. And it's, it's, it's scary. It's scary at moments until you get your until you get the ball into your hands and now you go to work. But when you when the ball is in the air, it's like, what in the freak I have gotten myself <laughs> into? 
11 guys on special teams running down full speed, flying 40, and you don't know how close they are. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's nerve-wracking until you get the ball in your hands. Once you get the ball in your hands, now you can present your, your athletic ability and go from there. You played for the Montreal Alouettes, correct? Yes. What Can you tell us what is an Alouette? We're still trying to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's funny you ask that because I, I barely know what it is. We always laugh about what is an alouette. But, you know, technically it's like a bird, I guess, a big bird. And I, I, I don't know, to be honest with you. I don't know the real answer, but their mascot <laughs> is a bird, a muscular bird. I, I have no idea what an alouette is. Yeah. No <laughs> and you, you played for them for how long? Just one year. Just one oh, year. Just one year. Last year was my only year. Yeah. We asked Justin Holman the same thing, and he was there for a year, too. He also had no idea either, so it's not just you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I have no idea what Alouette is. <laughs> All right, Joe, I don't want to sell you short, so but besides, obviously, your uh, your return days, you were, a, you were a lockdown cornerback for us as well. Uh, so who was the toughest receiver that you ever have to cover at practice? So who was the toughest guy that you did not want to line up against during practice? This probably would never change. Mike Sims Walker yeah, or Brandon go. Marshall. One of the two. Mike Sims Walker or Brandon Marshall. And Mike was Mike was the guy who ran precise routes, full speed. When he comes out of his break, you never know what he's doing. You know, and uh it it, it was just he was that that it player, that it factor as far as a wide receiver, you know. and with even with, with, with once he went down in the rice game with that injury, I think that slowed him down a little bit. But I never wanted to guard him or look at film after guarding him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you were here at the beginning of the George O'Leary era, so did you guys call him the White Horse when he was here, or did that start after you left? I think that started after after we left. I I, I actually haven't even heard of that. No White Horse. Yeah, the, no, so the guys used to call him the White Horse. Like so, when they were goofing around in practice to let the other guys know that he was around. They'd say, white horse, white horse, white horse. And everybody was straightening up. So that was a code. No, that, that, yeah, yeah that, that was, that was after me. I haven't heard of that one. All right. So we're trying to narrow it down. So it must be 09 yeah. or 2010. Right. Yeah. It had to be, had to be probably with uh, Darren Baldwin, probably his class. Those, those guys were the goofballs of the classes. <laughs> Darren Baldwin in them class. Yeah. In, we're going to try to think. In the Oster. Yeah, we need to find him. All right, so Joe, you were a, you were a criminal justice major at UCF, is that right? I started out criminal justice. I'm a minor in criminal justice, but I finished with uh, hospitality. Okay, so so Mike and I were Mike and I were criminal justice majors as well. Did you ever take a class with Professor Bohm? Professor Bohm, Professor Bohm. Oh, you're jogging my memory now. Well, I may have, but so I, did, I can't. Did I he can't put recall. you to sl- did he put you to sleep like he put me and Mike to sleep because he took he had some he had some boring classes for uh, for UCF. <laughs> well, that that probably why I can't remember because <laughs> I was probably asleep. <laughs> I was probably asleep. But that that name that uh, it, it kind of sounds familiar, but I'm not. Sure. I can't recall if I was in one of his classes or not. Either sleep or I showed up late, turned my paper in, and got out of there. <laughs> one or the other. <laughs> All right, so if they were going to make UCF the movie, like we tried to do one time, what actor would you get to play Joe Burnett? Hmm. If, I, if they made UCF a movie, what actor would I get to play myself? Uh, it would probably have to be 
Mm. I would say Mike Epps. Mike Epps. Mike Epps. Okay. The, co- the comedian, Mike Epps, just because he's he's unique. You think he can pull off the football moves? And I, I think so. He'll he'll pull them off in a comical way, you know, <laughs> and that, which would make it funny. <laughs> All right, Joe, we said these are tough questions, so here's here's a tough one for you. So people don't, I guess, if you're not a UCF fan, you might not realize this, but we've had um, some pretty t- phenomenal, some pretty talented uh, defensive backs come out of UCF. Who are the top three cornerbacks to ever come out of UCF, in Joe Burnett's opinion? In my opinion, I would say, I would say Samuel, Santia Samuels. Yep, okay. Travis Fisher. Yeah. And, my, and myself, of course. Okay. Fair enough. That's a very good list. That's a very good list. Sorry, AJ Boya, you didn't make it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's the most embarrassing song you have on your music player right now? <laughs> the most embarrassing song? Oh, man. Probably, <laughs> it will probably be the, uh, uh, what's the song? I, the, the name of it. The shark song, because I have two kids now, two and five years old, and daddy shark. Da, 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 <laughs> <laughs> so I have to play. I have to play it in the in the truck or the car when they're with me. So that's probably the, the most embarrassing one, because when I play it, we got to turn the speakers up and all that good stuff, so they can do all the singing. <laughs> what do you got? Two boys, a boy and a girl. What do you got? Boy and a girl. Oh, a boys five, girls two. Oh, that's nice, man. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Joe. So if you had stuck to basketball, would you be playing in the, in the league? Absolutely. Yeah. I tell everyone that. If I, if I would have stuck to basketball and I was probably three inches taller, I would have been playing in the NFL. I'm in the NBA. I would have been playing in the NBA. Absolutely. Yeah, I believe you. So <laughs> I, <laughs> I know the seasons haven't lined up. You've been busy in with your career. But have you, maybe on a bye week or something, have you been back to the bounce house as a fan? Uh, yes, I have. I've been I've been there a couple of times, actually. I've um, uh, been there a couple of times, me and my son. I love going with him, you know, just, just showing him the ropes of where things started from over at UCF. And, um, and, and just like I left, I love it there. The atmosphere is still great. Fan support is awesome, you know, and um, I love where the program is going. Definitely love where the program is going. Awesome, Joe. Well, look, we can't uh, we can't thank you enough. I know you're uh, you pulled over to, to talk to us, man. So we uh, we appreciate it. Uh, so so first off, thanks for everything you did for UCF. Uh, congratulations on uh, on a fantastic career and uh, and uh, really super best of luck to you moving forward in your uh, in your new endeavors, man. It's, it's exciting to hear. So uh, we'll we'll always be fans, and I know Nate Nation will always uh, be a fan of yours as well too. So so thanks for everything. Absolutely, and I appreciate it. I appreciate it, and. Uh... Go nice, as always. I'm Jeff Allen. Join me each week for unique yet common sense opinions on sports on the Jeff Allen Sports Talk Podcast. We will break down the sports world minus the hot takes with prominent guests and my stable of sports guys. It's sports conversation the way it should be. Search Jeff Allen Sports Talk wherever you get your podcasts or go to JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. Mike and Adam, sons of UCF, that'll move those chains. That's good enough for another UCF first down.
All right, we will introduce the new cows of the week momentarily, Mike, but uh, always good to catch up with Joe Burnett. Again, for people who don't remember, Joe Burnett was Mike Hughes before Mike Hughes was Mike Hughes, right? He was a, uh, uh, just a dangerous return man. He was a lockdown corner. Uh, he was uh, a staple of UCF. He had so many big plays. Uh, obviously, you know, he's, he's had, uh, we, we recounted a bunch, just the, the game saving tackles, the big interceptions. Uh, he was just that guy who was everywhere. Uh, UCF hall of Famer. He's in the ring of honor, whatever the heck we call that thing. Uh, Joe Burnett is just a true UCF legend and an all around nice guy too. Mike, always good to talk to nice guys and Joe Burnett checks all those boxes. Well, great guy. And a walking highlight film, the excitement, the stadium, you can feel it. Just when he was back to return a punt or back for a kick, you thought he could score every time they kick it, kicked it to him. And a lot of those times, we he was our offense. So he was not only on special teams, he was defense and half of our offense in some of those games. That game against the Cows in 2008, uh, he returned a kick in that one. And uh, there's been a, a bunch of games. He did it against Miami. Even games we lost, he kept us in games a lot of times with his kick return specialties. And then, of course, the the clinching interception his freshman year, uh, all kinds of plays out of smoking Joe. Yeah. I mean, he, and he came on our live show too, was a, was a nice guy still follows UCF uh, and uh, is out there too. So make sure you, uh, if you haven't just Google Joe Burnett highlights, and uh, if you haven't seen any of those, you will be, uh, you'll be entertained as always. So uh, Joe will not be Cal of the Week, Mike, uh, for many reasons. Uh, and and these people will be Cal of the Week for many reasons. So I'm going to let you lead off first with your weekly Cal nominee, which is who or what? All right. I admit I do not follow this very closely. The NBA free, uh, free agent signings began today, right? That's correct. And they have a rule that says you're not allowed to negotiate with these players until after 6 p.m. today. And then it was open season on these guys. But somehow by 6.01, all these deals are already done. Mm. Right? How many deals are done in the first 10 minutes of free agency? How is that possible if you're not supposed to be able to have any contact with these guys? It's like Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC overnight. Yeah, we never talk to these guys all offseason, right? We just – all of a sudden are in their conference. I don't know who they're kidding with this. They're not fooling me. So uh, just one of these ridiculous things. Let's just be honest with people. You know, say we've been negotiating, whatever you, whatever you got to do, just don't with this charade already. Enough with this crap. The 601 and all the deals are done. Who are they cool? Who are they fooling? Wow. Yeah, you're not wrong. I mean, obviously there's always these deals that people know about in advance. I mean, at 601 today, we already knew uh, a bunch of things. Lonto Ball was traded with like a minute Kyle Lowry was traded within like two minutes. Uh, so all these signings obviously took place uh, well in advance, even, even five, ten minutes in. Uh, and so it's, isn't it is, – does the NFL – is the NFL has legal tampering? Is that what the NFL calls it? I think so, yeah. I mean, maybe they need to go legal tampering or I, I don't know what you, what you call it, right? Because it is, it is kind of preposterous that obviously you know, we know these deals don't get done in a minute uh, unless you really, really want to go someplace. But again, if you, if you do, someone has to know that already. So I don't know how that's all possible to. It's a, it's, a, it's a good one, Mike. What's your favorite deal so far? I know you're following this closely. <laughs> I can't even tell you. No, no. Uh, no idea. Okay. But I just know that deals are getting done. And it's not humanly possible. You can't even fill out the forms in a minute. (laughs) Somehow, Shams and the other guy, uh, they know everything before everything happens, right? They do. They do. uh, It's the same thing with the draft. They're telling you who's drafted five minutes before the draft picks even made. Let's just be upfront with everybody. 
Do you think they know where someone's going before they know? Do you think they're like reporting Lonzo Ball got traded? And he's like, I did. <laughs> like, do you think they know that that much in advance? Yeah, I'm sure. Plenty of instances they do. The players are probably sometimes the last ones to know. Um, deals get done behind closed doors and agents and I, I, the whole business is kind of a shady business. So I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I no listen, I I it's it's a funny part. I I love the free agency uh, free agency thing though. If you're a basketball fan, you know, it's like playing with monopoly money cuz they just give out these guaranteed 4-year, 70 something million dollar contracts to guys you've never heard of. Uh, and you you look down and all of a sudden you're like Kerry Trent's making 17 million dollars a year. Duncan Robinson got 5 for 90. Like uh, and, and literally all he can do is shoot. Not that that's a bad thing, by the way, but uh, $18 million a year uh, for Duncan Robinson uh, when I think he was on some like D3 team coming out of, out of, uh, out of high school. So that's, that's crazy to think about uh, how much money these guys make. Yeah, basketball guys seem like mediocre guys get paid so much money. <laughs> and you compare it to football, uh, where some of the best players in the league don't make nearly as much. If you're a kid, you got to start. I mean, I guess you got to have the height for basketball. Well, baseball, too. The guaranteed contracts and all that. If you have the option, uh, football would probably be down the list. Yeah. All right, Mike. So that's a good one. I've got uh, I've got a lot of Olympics talk in my mind here. I've I've uh, I've been uh, stuck in my house here for a couple of days, and uh, and so I've been watching a lot of the Olympics uh, for no reason. And so my cow of the week, I'll start off there. Is uh, is this NBC TV production of the Olympics? What are we doing? I don't even understand. Like live games are on, and I can't see them, uh, which is, which is fine. I mean, they want to push stuff to prime time, and then they've got this conundrum where the basketball teams were under the the paywall of their their streaming service. And now we're going to play the quarterfinals against Spain at 12.40 a.m. Like, I, I'm, I'm not staying up to watch that, I don't think. But I don't know when it's on live. So I don't know. Even if I say, hey, I'm not going to watch it, I guess I could tape it and just wake up in the morning and watch it. Uh, but I, it, it probably won't be on until, like, 8 o'clock at night. So i got to try to go all day without watching it if I don't see it. Uh, the, the TV stuff, I get it's across the world and it's tough to do all that. But it's really, really annoying that, uh, I, I, you know, I, I know there's a live game on and I can't see it. I have to wait for it. And then when I turn my TV on, I seem to see the same women's volleyball match playing over and over and over again. I don't know how that's possible, how these guys are playing all the time. A sidebar, by the way, Mike. Beach volleyball. How are these girls and, and these guys not more sunburned than they are? I don't understand that. Like they're literally in the sun baking for hours. How is Phil Dahlhauser not not just burnt to a crisp every day? <laughs> I don't understand. Uh, SPF one hundred. Is that what it is? I don't know. Yeah, do they I, wear t-shirts. Uh, so, no, some of them do. Some of them have the little tank tops, but the girls are out there in bikinis. How are these? I mean, how are these ladies just not fried at the end of a match? I mean, they're out there for hours. The sun's baking. They're dripping sweat. I don't. I don't understand. Yeah, I don't know. I really have not watched any Olympics yeah. at all. Okay. Uh, and you talk about the results in advance, knowing them in advance. I, I don't even search out the results, and I get an alert on my phone. This Apple News just pops up. So-and-so won gold, and I'll be like, okay. Yeah. I guess there's no point in me trying to watch that tonight when it's on at prime time. So yeah, that, that's done with. Yeah, I, don't yeah even, I haven't gotten into the Olympics. The basketball team, you tell me, is still alive. So well, we so, point, yeah, we're now medal. we're in the knockout round now, friends. So uh, win or go home. Uh, and so we were playing Spain. So they're typically the number two uh, seeded team in the, uh, I guess, in the, 
when you stack the nations uh, and USA is one. So we are playing Spain, uh, who's got some Gasols laying around there, I'm sure. Uh, they're still playing. So uh, they're typically a formidable team. Luis Scola, I think, is still. No, maybe he's in Argentina. I don't know. He's out there getting buckets from somebody. Uh, and, yeah, so it, it'll be a tough one. They did not look great uh, early on in their their last matchup uh, against the Czech Republic. Uh, so who knows? But 1240 a.m. if you're still awake here, East Coast time. By the time you hear this, the game will be over already. So don't tell me who won. So if we lose this game, there's no medal. That's it. We're out. Um, we may still qualify for a bronze medal game. I don't know how that works. Well, this, none of this is the quarterfinals, right? We have to get at least yeah, the semis. That's a great think. question. I'm not. I'm. I'm too worried about what time the game is on. Like, let alone what are we gonna? What are, what's on the line here? Like, I'm trying to figure out when I can watch this thing. I don't, I don't yeah, know. I'm definitely not staying up for watching. No, I know you're not. Yeah. I'll I'll hear in the morning. Or I'll see a tweet in the morning. And tell me if we won or not. So. Yeah. yeah. Also, have you seen there's a sport called uh, canoe slalom or canoe slaloming where it's like, you know, you're going down like this raging rapid water in a canoe and you've got to paddle your way through the uh, through the gates. <laughs> when did this become a sport? It's fantastic, by the way. It was really entertaining. I did not know that was a sport, though. <laughs> nope. Never heard of it. We need to put together some sort of a, a, a event at some point where we just pick some of these random events and we pick some random humans and just see how they do. Because I can't imagine... People aren't just going to walk away uh, drowning from uh, from that stuff. One more Olympic question for you, Mike. I don't know if you're following this, uh, but there were two guys, uh, and they were um, they were doing track and field, the men's high jump, and they both ended with jumps of 2.37 meters. I have no idea how far that is. Um, but it was raised to 2.39. Neither one of them could clear that, and the competition was tied. Uh, so after three failed attempts, the Olympic judge basically said they could have a jump off to decide the, the winner, and the one guy was like, basically, can we have two golds instead? So these two guys decided instead of, of competing to see who ultimately was the champion, they both agreed that they would both get gold medals and they went to the medal stand and they both have gold medals. Mike, would you have done that? Would you have said, you know what, let's just take, both take one of these home? Or are you, are you jumping until you can't jump anymore? No, they have to settle this on, on the, uh, whatever, I don't know what you call it, the field or whatever. That, that You can't make two gold medals <laughs> that beats the whole purpose you should have given them two silvers if they wanted to do it that Ooh. way nobody gets the gold but no you gotta you gotta have a jump off and see who the best is that's the whole point of these things is to see who the best in the world is and now they're tying uh, i can't go with that interesting if they offer them two silver medals i wonder what they would have done that's interesting yeah they, they probably would have said no okay let's find out who gets the gold so uh i think that's weak you know we're here for competition. You're scared that you're not going to, and it's just mano a mano. Who's the best guy and keep jumping until I guess, you know, endurance plays a part in it too. And whoever gets tired and can't make the jump loses. I was going to ask you if you've been watching this, but you said you haven't. So you, you won't have, it's unbelievable how fast these guys run in the hundred, a hundred meter dash or a hundred meters. I don't even like th- these humans are moving faster than I, I, I think is even humanly possible. Mike, I don't even know how that's a, a thing. Have you seen any of these, 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 these gold medal races, these hundred meter final races. I mean, these guys are just going so fast. It's even, it's scary. Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm scared. No, is Usain Bolt still running? He is, is not he too old now. He's, he's no. too old. Yeah, he's he's hawking so uh, Michelob Ultra uh, during the commercials. Are these guys breaking his records? No, he's nine five. I think. Mike. I mean, that's uh, that's standing for a long time. He's nine five eight. That's that's standing for a while. I think the guy who won it uh, actually I have it pulled up now. Uh, he is going to win it in. Hold on, wait for it. It's only in a second. So uh, he's from uh, Britain, I think. He he's going to get it in nine seven. 
So Usain Bolt's nine five eight, and uh, this year's winner is nine seven. So that that record's going to stand for a long time. You would think, but you know these freaks of nature's come around every once in a while, and who knows? The kid that's going to break it right now could be ten <laughs> years old, and you know, two Olympics from now, he's setting records. And then I'll go to UCF and play against the Gators in twenty thirty, Mike. But speaking of freaks of nature, I think that uh, sums up this particular episode. Of the uh, the Sons of UCF show, a lot of stuff going on. Like we have made it to the preseason. We will get uh, we we do our usual preseason stuff. We got to figure out how we're going to do this, Mike. We do the preseason sunnies where uh, we go and, and you and I tell everybody what we think is going to happen. We open it up to the the fans in a poll. Uh, we do some fun questions there as well. So we'll get the preseason sunnies working soon and get those links out to you so we can get your results as well. At some point, we'll figure out the two deep. We'll go over that. We'll break down games. Uh, we have a couple of uh, – I've got at least one to two more guests lined up before football season. So for those who are new to the show, typically during in-season, uh, we don't do many guest interviews at that point because we spend a lot of time breaking down the games. Uh, and so we devote that time to game coverage. So the uh, the guest interview stuff will kind of come to a halt, uh, and we'll do more game breakdowns. Mike, our good friend Nelson actually asked me a question on uh, on – uh, on DM the other day, are have we decided we uh, we typically break down the game and we we give out awards based on previous bowl um, appearances by UCF and typically we had said the worst thing that could happen at a game they got the Cure Bowl award named after the Cure Bowl in 2016. Nelson's wondering if we've decided to officially replace that with the Boca Bowl. Um, have we made that decision? Has that executive decision been made? I haven't put any thoughts to it, but man, that is a good question. Yeah, the Boca Bowl. Is that a bigger disaster? I think maybe it was. Uh, it might have been a bigger disaster than the Cure Bowl. Although the Cure Bowl, we were favored, right? I think we were heavy favorites in that game. Well, what was the, uh, the Boca Bowl? I think it was a closer line. No? Maybe we weren't. I don't even know if we were favored in that game. I don't think we were. I don't think no, we were. I don't think we were. So I told Nelson, I, I think we are, and my reasoning being, on the Cure Bowl, our team, our program, the arrow is pointing up. After the Boca Bowl, that arrow was pointing straight down to the ground, and we all saw it. Even though we all tried to act like we didn't see it, we all saw it. So the Cure, or the Cure Bowl, while it was a, a tough one, was a building block to something better, and you saw the team you know, kind of take that and move on. With the Cure Bowl um, you know, now behind us, and we know what happened in 2017, the Boca Bowl, obviously a whole new coaching staff. The Hypel era comes to an end there. So that's the end of that, that whole regime. There's no coming back because anything that happens in 2021 – all that credit's going to go to Gus. So I think the Boca Bowl may actually need to be that category because it's the it's the closing chapter, and it can never be sort of redone. And we can't be we can't we can't um, uh, unwrong the right or unright the wrong, whatever you want to call it. There. So um, I think the Boca Bowl may take that category. Yeah, I, I think there's a very good case to be made there. And I did not go to the Cure Bowl, so that's another factor. I actually spent money on a ticket to go see this disaster in Boca. You did, and so did you. I did. So I uh, spent the whole day. We went free game in before word before game, and uh, mm. it, that, that was ugly. And then it's, it's an ugly car ride on the way home. Uh, that, that was a bad one. Oh, it was over quickly. It, it was. was over early. It was one glimmer of hope. Once we dropped that pass down the sideline, and it was game over. Um, 
But here's what's yeah. funny about okay. that. Driving home that night, and obviously, A, hopefully you didn't drive home, but B, I don't know if you remember the drive <laughs> home, but driving home that night, how bad we felt. Could you have ever imagined, fast forward to today, that we would feel this positive about UCF? Like the, the amount of change that took place from us limping off the field, I think, what, December 23rd to where we are now when you and I are talking August 2nd. Could you have imagined a greater turnaround i mean I, I this wouldn't have been if you were driving home that night i was like hey mike here's what's gonna happen in the next nine months you would have pulled over your car found me someplace and punched me in the face because there's no way you thought that would happen right <laughs> no i didn't see any of it coming but it all happened for the best um if none of that change happens coming into this year i gotta tell you i think i'd pick us to lose a few games mm. <laughs> i wouldn't be that excited the boise game i'd be very scared of uh, a bunch of others i don't think we'd be beating Cincinnati now when we do our predictions in a couple of weeks. I mean, this is going to be four years in a row. I'm going to pick us to go undefeated again. <laughs> the excitement is that high and the expectations are that high now with, with the new staff. So, um, yeah, I didn't see it coming, but I'm glad it did. Well, we saw our week because it gave us a bunch to talk about, and we'll continue that conversation into the next couple of weeks, leading you up into the kickoff uh, Boise State. Uh, and that begins again on Thursdays. Mike sends UCF Live. Trace Trucco joins us. A host of others will join us. We take your questions. We throw up funny graphics. We bring people on to talk to. You never know who's going to show up on the Sons of UCF Live, so don't miss that. And don't miss any of these podcasts. Make sure you subscribe to our, our channel, our feed. Uh, give us ratings, five stars. I like good jazz, and we would definitely, definitely appreciate it. Uh, until Thursday, everybody have a fantastic week. Mike and I will talk to you then. Go Knights. Charge out. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.